this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Hello and welcome to the Bald Move Television Podcast. We're the officially unofficial podcast for all of television here on baldmove.com. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And today, this Monday, we are talking about the Romanoffs, Episode 5, Bright and High Circle. Jim, how how high and how bright was this circle for you? <laughs> uh, it wasn't the, the dim and low circle. I mean, it wasn't... <laughs> I didn't hate it. Uh, it. It was kind of on par with everything else that I've seen from the Romanoffs. I, I don't think it was awful i don't think it was great somewhere in the middle yeah i i this is a pretty messy episode because it's trying to say something and i think the thing it's it, it feels like to me the thing it's it's trying to say is kind of you know in in the era of me too and as we talked about in the very first episode matthew weiner's kind of uh, involvement in that um is i you know it, it is is false bearing false witness the worst crime that one can commit <laughs> obviously not i mean i can think of a litany of crimes that are worse i, I feel like murder murder is the worst thing yeah. you can do maybe per- mass mass yeah <laughs> uh is is the worst crime one can commit because that's the one that is you know like there's there's no kind of appeal from uh death the the abyss mm-hmm. i um but I, it's and then I'm not because like you can go to lots of places on the internet to see a lot of very interesting and nuanced takedowns of this episode, and a lot of people bemoaning uh, Matthew Weiner's uh, whatever artistic vision. I'm going to try to talk in terms. I mean, I'm definitely going to talk about that stuff, but I first want to talk about, I guess, the purely subjective artistic opinion, in which I thought this was an unusually stilted episode of the Romanoffs thinking that a lot mm-hmm. of the episodes of Romanoffs have been stilted and to the point where there was a lot of music this episode. I, I thought like is Matthew Weiner trying to go for like his version of a Broadway play because <laughs> all of the acting was very stiff and stagey. I thought some of the conversations remarkably poorly edited Mm-hmm. Like Diane Lane would say something like heated and then it throw back to Ron Livingston and there'd be like a second and a half pause while he's like sitting there on his mark before he talked. I'm like, what the, 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 the flow of this is just all like all fucked up and, uh, inartful. I mean, the, the show looked amazing as always. It's got a very high caliber of talent. It's just nothing felt like it, it, it worked through, through most of the hour. Yeah, I absolutely felt there, uh, felt that sitting there watching it, um, that I was watching something that was intentionally constructed in a way that I just, it doesn't appeal to me. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's, the thing is, I don't recall ever feeling this way in Mad Men, where I look at something and go, boy, that beat really didn't play right. Uh, mm-hmm. so I don't know, I don't know where to put the blame, uh, for that in this show because well, Matthew Weiner wrote, directed and produced and created this thing. Uh, he did have yeah, a, he hand had a co-writer in writing on, on, on this, but I'm going to go yeah. with Matthew Weiner probably to blame for this. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose so. But I, I guess he had other talent working with him on Mad Men in a way right. that, you know, covered up some of his perhaps tendencies, at least as I'm perceiving them in this show, right. uh, to to try. It, it's almost like there were moments where he thought he was giving the character a beat to think, Mm -hmm. but instead it came across as this character isn't actually thinking. They're just sort of waiting to say their line. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. It it felt a little weird and clunky. Uh, on the other hand, I did like about everything, uh, just about everything involving Andrew Rannell or Rennells. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. That uh, except for the fact that he is 40 years old and he's convincingly playing uh, a mid 20 something person. That is that the seems, piano teacher. Yeah, that seems uh, like a little bit much to take. Uh, but he's he's very talented and like uh, he's able to do some kind of like funny things and some kind of bitchy snarky things. And I thought all that stuff worked well as like these weird flashbacks that Diane Lang was having as she kind of. Like like him, her kindergarten age son being transfixed by him practicing, I thought was a pretty good scene. I thought the mm-hmm. scene where this kitchen looked like for sale uh, threw up was a pretty pretty funny scene. There's like all these little interesting vignettes that kind of reminded me of like grown up uh, uh, grown up Elijah from the from the girls television show. Um, mm-hmm. But that was kind of the only bright point. And like I really like Diane Lang. I really like Ron Livingston. And it's it was kind of painful to see them so muted and working with this material that I didn't think was very interesting or instructive. Hey, before we get too much further into an episode discussion, uh, I want to talk about some housekeeping stuff here at BaldMove.com. But first, some housekeeping for the United States of America. If you're a U.S. citizen and are able to do so, please go out and vote tomorrow. Uh, the election for Tuesday, uh, November 6th is very important. If you are... Feeling unprepared, you can go to vote411.org and find a nonpartisan voter's guide where they show you all the candidates will be on your ballot. It's a personalized ballot, and you can make an informed decision based on their stated views because uh, it provides like interviews and uh, sta- statements of where they stand on various issues, and you can judge accordingly. And then uh, flex your Democratic muscles tomorrow again. Uh, do not, it's, it's Tuesday. Don't let anybody tell you differently. <laughs> it's Tuesday. Uh, oh, one other thing is if you are, for whatever reason, denied a ballot because of a quibble with your address or whatever, be aware that you have the right in all 50 states to cast a provisional ballot, which is basically saying, yeah, 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 I know there's some bullshit about it, but here is what I would vote if I was allowed to vote. And then uh, they will research, and if, it, if you do have the right to vote, uh, that vote will be counted. So they are not required to tell you that. Uh, but it's it's something very handy to know. So vote tomorrow. If you're denied, what for any reason, ask for a provisional ballot and file that ballot because it is, is assuming you're not engaging in in-person voting fraud, voter fraud, your, your vote will be counted. Uh, moving on to Season of the Cage, we're still in the summer of his career where he's making good movies and making good choices. One of his best, Adaptation, the Charlie Kaufman uh Man, this I'd never seen this film before until we did this project. It was a really pleasant, it wasn't a pleasant surprise because it's a highly guarded film, but it's a very smart film about making an adaptation of a work in Hollywood and what that looks like and what it's like to live with neurosis. Uh, it's funny, it's interesting, I think you'll like it, and that's what we're doing for Season of the Cage, or special feature that's got tons of audio uh, features, members-only club features. Check it out. 
on baldmove.com and youtube.com slash baldmove. We're also wrapping up the deuce this week. It's the final episode just aired last night. We'll be talking about it tomorrow. You can still get feedback in at TV at baldmove.com. Cecily and I are still doing American horror story. There's two episodes left of this season. Uh, Jim and I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, the queen biopic this uh, last week had a really good time doing so this week. We are seeing the world war two themed horror film overlord. That one should be interesting. And then finally, uh, my book, Gods of Thrones, went on sale last week, November 1st. You can buy a digital copy right now on Amazon. Uh, paperbacks will be available in the next week or two. I actually have holding in my hand uh, the proof that I got from Amazon for the book. Uh, it'll be available in a couple weeks. But if you want the ebook, you can get it right now. Uh, it's Amazon, Gods of Thrones, and there'll be a link in the show notes. That's it. Get back to the episode. So, so one other thing that I want to talk about, A, I... Two other things, I guess. So I spent at least half of the episode trying to figure out whether or not that was the guy from Workaholics, because goddamn, they look so similar. Uh, the, Which guy? The piano teacher. Oh uh, no, no, no! Yeah, yeah. Okay. Obviously, I'm I'm kidding, okay. but oh, uh, <laughs> they they do look a lot alike, except mm-hmm. one's bulkier. Um, and the other thing is, it felt like th- this whole series really feels like this is Matthew Weiner's attempt to tell the public that he loves high class things mm-hmm. um th- this idea of like you know modern day royalty kind of thing uh loving the classical music loving fine wines and fine whiskeys and just like all of the you know the better things in life it feels like matthew weiner is desperately trying to throw it all on the screen saying boy i wish you know the people today appreciated these things like i do mm. Right? Am I am I crazy in thinking that? There's certainly uh, there's certainly an undercurrent of that, and I felt felt like did, you, did to your point that maybe Diane Lang was a bit of a Mary Sue, and that Matthew Weiner's like, oh, I wish I had a dream, a dreamy gay man to come by and tell me I earned everything, and I and and this is a result of mm-hmm. of my own hard work and being a good person, and not just uh, economic imbalances of the system that's just random, uh, and yeah yeah i i feel you okay uh that's that's those are the only two things that i want to talk about before we get into more meteor topics um yeah so well i mean another point i guess to add on to that is i remember thinking that a lot of stuff in in mad men is very thought-provoking Mm-hmm. And but now I'm thinking because every time like Don Draper took a stand that that seemed like you know very with it or or progressive, you always adjusted it for like well I guess it's progressive in terms of a guy in 1968 or whatever mm-hmm. you know which is like you know Don is able to be for forwards thinking about women and race. Uh, he was a little bit, you know, he didn't wish a gay man wrong, but any, any anything ill, but also doesn't understand why they, they just can't stay in the closet and stop rocking the boat. And then it's a way to like, you, you, you kind of could give, um, you know, Don this high and bright circle, this, this, this halo of his own. And then anytime he was bad, like when he was a misogynist or when he was a litterer or when Roger got into blackface, you could always just say, well, it's, a, you know, these guys, what, what are you going to expect? That was a long time ago. Uh, I feel like this show is outing Matthew Weiner as a bit of a fuddy-duddy. Like he's just an, <laughs> he's an old man that just doesn't understand how, like, why you can't go up to one of your female coworkers and say, look, you owe it to me to get naked. 
you know, like, <laughs> like if there's any justice, like, and, and he, I think he thinks that this is, should be seen as like a Don Draper play where it's just kind of like a compliment that can be playfully dismissed or, Hey, if it, if it's it, like, then maybe we pursue it. I, I just like this episode, like, like there's a couple of interesting topics that the episode touches on that I thought were interesting in spite itself, but I don't know that they were the points of Matthew Weiner wanted to make, for example, there's a particular type of this especially privileged liberal culture that's extremely brittle that mm-hmm. the episode kind of made fun of, like the fact that they highlight one of his one of the the kids throws into the mom's face that well, you fired a servant for breaking a dish, and she's like, "Well, no, I didn't. I fired her because it was a special dish and it was a fancy Romanoff dish, and also she kind of tried to she tried to to blame one of the kids for it, which I get it." That's that's a lie, and like housekeeping requires a certain amount of trust. But Jesus Christ, how do you make all those words coming out of your mouth without realizing that you are you are you're a master in this servant type of relationship? And that itself, like like the fact that you're trying to articulate all this stuff, is something that maybe should give you pause. <laughs> um, the fact that she needed and wanted and like and and cited as a moment of of David really being there for her is when she bought this fucking castle in uh, probably wine country of California. And David was there to assure her that, no, look, you guys have worked so hard and you've had all this stuff coming to you. And she, she, she was kind of onto something about like, you know, we've really been lucky versus no, 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 you were meant to be here. Um, the, the father, like as soon as she, he found out that David had been like accused of of doing something inappropriate to children, is, was kind of like, I knew it, a fucking gay piano teacher, right, right? Come on, I, that mm-hmm. just that was just asking for. I, I I never thought that was a good idea. It's like it, you, some of these. I feel like some of these people, um, you scratch the thinnest of the surfaces and you reveal how much their kind of high minded ideals are essentially bullshit or essentially a veneer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how like quickly uh, Diane Lang took offense when a teacher suggested that her own life choices could be having a negative impact on her child and his fitting in, and how quick she was to dismiss pretty extreme behavior, getting naked and running around in the class as like, oh, you know, kids. Uh, and I, I, I just thought, and also like to put a the the to put a bow on. The dad's like complete turnaround when the inappropriate conduct became supplying a sixty year old sixteen year old with alcohol rather than touching their privates. Mm. He's like, Oh well pff, you know, inappropriate contact. Shit, I did that as a like I mean, I'm not saying that buying a kid a beer is is worse than touching their pee pee or better or anything. It's pretty concerning behavior though, right? It is. I mean the the uh, here's <laughs> Here's where I come down on this. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't think it's like, especially, it's, so when you look at it from the kid's perspective, okay, this is a 15-year-old, yeah. the yeah. kid wants beer, wants to try it, whatever, is going to right. someone that he trusts that could potentially get him that beer, that whiskey, right. that whatever right. kind of alcohol it was. Uh, that is totally understandable from the kid's side. What is yes. not understandable is the adult indulging that kid and getting that for them whether there's anything otherwise inappropriate or not going on or even the potential for that like that adult should know better right yeah and also that like i'm glad ron livingston didn't hit the skids when he was 16 and started drinking but 
You know, some people are genetically predisposed to do so, and his idea of harmless fun could wreck a career that could could wreck a person's life that hadn't yet begun. Mm-hmm. It's just that's what I'm saying. Like these fucking people, uh, you know, they're the worst type of like kind of helicopter hover parents, but also like, well, shit didn't kill me when I was a kid, so you know, we didn't have to wear seatbelts when we were growing up. Like it's it's that kind of weird. Yeah, just because you ran the evolutionary gauntlet doesn't mean it's okay. I it I, again and the idea that like I didn't feel like I knew what the script what side the script was coming down on any of this stuff. Um like and 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 also um there's just a very black and white like at the end you know Di- Diane Lang's character makes a decision that well, I'm going to trust this character because it feels right to me and trust to the extent that I'm just going to close the door. Like I felt that felt like a weird choice too. Like, you know, um, there's a reason why I think that more and more schools don't allow that kind of shit to happen. Like if, if, if a teacher's alone with a student, there shouldn't be a door closed because, you know, you, that's, that's part of the me too thing too, is like, uh, you can't really trust anyone. You can't really give anyone the benefit of the doubt. You, you do have to kind of act for maximum protection of victims. So I'm not saying that she should yank her kids out of David's class, but I felt like it was a, it was appropriate. And especially with the way the law enforcement is uh, acting to like, you know, maybe keep the door open, maybe check in, maybe not be a, like a, like annoying or um, an asshole about it, but, you know, keep an eye on. And I'm not saying that because David's gay. I'm saying that because he's got a one-on-one uh, relationship with this child. If it was a female teacher, it'd be, this, it'd be kind of the same thing, especially if there's kind of some weird, you know, accusation that's happened. And I just felt like that... This episode is trying to say something like, hey, one false accusation can wreck a person. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that the the so-called victim in this case was this, you know, gay piano teacher who also seemed to be having money trouble. Uh, so that an accusation uh, by this powerful family against him would literally probably ruin his career and his life mm-hmm. versus... Matthew Weiner saying, oh, man, I can't remember if I said she owed it to take my clothes up. You know, crazy. Who knows? I was busy. Like, even if everyone believed that Matthew Weiner's a creep, it's not going to ruin his life, right? Uh, Probably not. I mean, not in the way that it it would ruin the lives of a victim who was actually victimized by, you know, whatever kind of predator it was. Um, That certainly does more damage than having a false rumor spread about you, obviously. Um, yeah, but here, here's the thing. I, I think they muddy the waters quite a bit. So, okay, first yes. of all, it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs that we have to live in a world where you can't trust anybody implicitly. You can't, right. you can't just say, "I'm going to close this door with the piano teacher and my child because I trust this person." I don't, I don't really want to live in that world mm-hmm. where I have to constantly be suspicious of everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. The, the episode gets really weird around Ron Livingston's character because mm. he does this 180 and and he does it he almost does it before he finds out that it's alcohol there's 
there's the thing later on where, you know, as a child, he questioned, like, whether this girl was actually a, a girl and thought he was a boy and uh, all, all this right, stuff. Right, right. Now, that taught him the lesson, and his father, you know, uh, furiously instilled it in him, mm-hmm. that he should not go with this mob mentality and just start... Uh, you know, doing the same things to these people that other people are doing to them. Mm-hmm. And that's a fine lesson. I, I think that's good. However, Ron Livingston at the beginning of this episode is very prejudiced against gay people. Very. Indeed. He, he, he tolerated it. He tolerated this gay right. person in his home teaching his children because his wife, you know, brought this person in and he didn't want to cause a big scene. And he most importantly, didn't want to out himself as homophobic. Yes. Uh, I think. And yeah, so did he ever learn a fucking lesson? Did he learn this lesson as a kid? And then when he gives this self-righteous speech to his children about how, uh, what did you call it? What does he say in there is the worst crime? Oh, uh, bearing false witness, bearing false witness being the worst crime possible. I mean, that's what you were fucking doing a, a, a half an hour ago, man. Right. Like, what lessons have you learned and what lessons are you going to instill in your children if you don't believe them yourself? So like the, what the waters around that guy are so fucking muddy that that character becomes a nothing to me. Yeah, it's so weird because you'd think if a person, like if he had really internalized a lesson his father had tried to teach him, that he would have instantly, he would have he would have been feeling like this this kind of like, uh, the shame at the cognitive dissonance of, uh, I think this, this gay piano teacher is a bad idea, and always mm-hmm. have, versus like, well, that's exactly what, I mean, I, I, that's not even what the mob says anymore. Like, like honestly, people have... People have, I, I think, well, I mean, again, I might be a, a step in <laughs> well, my best, but I, I feel like in polite society, people uh-huh. have moved on from herder the gays to like herder the trans. Uh, mm. And I'm not saying that we can't go back and that like, you know, uh, we're in this, it, we're, I, I should probably stop talking because it's it's not like anybody in the LBTG uh, T community has any kind of... Um, firm bedrock of their civil rights being respected in in, 20, in 2018 um but you know what i'm saying like in this particular mm-hmm. culture like this this very wealthy elite liberal culture in california i certainly think that that's it, it, it's just it's just bizarre and then the really bizarre thing is they he recontextualizes that alan wasn't a boy in fact his name was ellen and she was a girl mm-hmm. like I almost felt like I was watching in real time Matthew Weiner, number one, being like, well, the accusation is true. And also, well, shit, like, you know, this whole gay panic thing is a little passe. Let me throw in some pronoun debate uh, Hmm. to add some nuance to this or some shit like that. I'm like, the the, what? What the fuck? What what that that felt like just a way 180 out of a character that, as you said, already had done a 180. So now I don't know. Is he a proud boy? What (laughs) what is Ron Livingston's character? I I don't I don't get it. And then there's there are other problems with this episode. I think the the fact Okay, I I don't know that this is actually a problem. I think that this mm. episode is focused in a specific place that ignores a lot of the discussion and mm. to 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 completely exclude uh what I'm going to have to call the potential victim here because I don't know whether the accusation was actually true or not. The episode never says it uh in explicit terms, but the it, it does not concern itself with the potential victim. Uh, the child who 
was you know touched or given alcohol or right. whatever the fuck happened right. or didn't happen um it, it simply concerns itself with the ramifications of a of a false or true accusation and i, I guess that's not necessarily a flaw in the episode it's simply a cordoning off of a particular part of the conversation mm. which i don't know that you can really have a con of true conversation a holistic view of the thing without taking into account all the angles yeah and there's a couple i mean i think there was some probably interesting things that he could have said about you know the me too movement in the margins because like i you know it's something i think about like what would i do if someone like a very good friend of mine was credibly accused by a single woman of something sexual assault sexual misconduct how you know what how would i how would i treat that friend uh do you you know at because I think there's a, there's a difference between how someone should be treated like legally in a court of law, broadly in like the court of public opinion, and then you have like interpersonal relationships. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to be the guy who is going golfing with OJ as he's looking for the real killer, but the day that you find out that OJ has wanted for potentially to be a suspect of murder of his wife, do I really expect every one of his friends that have known him for years and years to be like, oh, fuck, jump ship off this Titanic? Like, I mean, I, and, and then it gives there's a lot of nuance. Like, I, it just, I guess if my friend had, I've seen him make a bunch of things, make people uncomfortably for, if, if, if like, is, if my reaction is, oh, that sounds plausible or that doesn't sound at all like XYZ. Those are some things that are interesting to, I guess, contemplate. Like, w- w- like what if Ron Livingston's buddy in corporate America, uh, w- w- he just fired a personal atten- uh, assistant, and it turns out that it was because of sexual harassment. Or at least that's the accusation. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how much navel gazing I'd like to see f- from Matthew Weiner on that, but that that would be at least a coherent story, something mm-hmm. to tell about, something that he could maybe personally wrestle, but. It, it, the other thing is like it's just I I don't I don't know when that I I've seen it both ways reported in the media that this this shit happened that this episode is written before Matthew Weiner's like accusation came out or happened after but I do kind of feel like and again like I, I understand there's like free speech and artistic arguments may be made on both sides but like I feel like you pack it in on this episode once that accusation comes to light. You know, like there's it, just it does no feel a little like self-defense here. It does. It feels like a a a wealthy and powerful and privileged man using lavish funds to fight his fight in the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I don't even I couldn't even tell you the woman's name who accused him. And I'm sure she doesn't have a indulgent eight-part Amazon series from which she can launch a detailed critique of the people like Matthew Weiner and and how he may or may not move in in the television industry it's like Mm -hmm. it just feels gross and I feel I feel like it says something about Mr. Weiner that he doesn't get that or that he like saw this in editing as like yep this is the thing I want to release right now yeah I I think that's fair um I'm not saying he doesn't have the right. I'm not saying he yeah. needs to be run out of town on a fucking wagon. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that if it were me, uh, I I think I would have I, I would have uh, shelved this this this, <laughs> this part of the project. Yeah, um, I don't know. The the conversation here is so limited in scope to 
this idea of the accusation and sort of how people react to the accusation itself. And I think it's pretty devoid of a definitive, did he or didn't he do anything wrong? Um, it, it, I look at like the cops, right, in this, in the detective uh, in this episode and how, you know, Diane Lane calls her out as being sort of laissez-faire about the what to her is an extremely important matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's, you know, there to try and say something about uh, perhaps how seriously the legal system is taking this accusation uh, because perhaps it's unwarranted. I don't know. Um, That almost felt like a commentary like, hey, we should, until the law like really wants to dig into this and take a look at it, we should probably just ignore it for the most part. Right. You know, Um, let let them do their thing. And if they're not that serious about it, why should we be? Right. Uh, But I I don't know. The, The whole thing felt both stilted and also just a little too narrow in focus and right. sort of icky yeah and like, i keep coming back to like every single time i and it, I, I i talk to men and it's almost always men uh, and they want to say like well yeah but what about these false accusations that can wreck a person's life um it's just such a weird no- side of the numbers game to be on because if you if you grant like the most i feel like if you grant the most generous interpretation of like false accusations regarding sexual misconduct and rape. It's like 10% of the accusations are false. And, 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 uh, you know, that's not to say that they're malicious. They're just like, you know, didn't meet the legal, you know, didn't didn't meet the legal definition or, or whatever. Uh, you know, it's like, that still means that a hundred percent of the women coming forward to, uh, to report these things are going to face doubt and skepticism. You know, when mm-hmm. you re- when you report a murder and report a theft of your car, people, the police don't come up and be like, yeah, I bet you I bet you set this thing on fire to get the insurance money out of it. Like, that's not the first. No one no one accuses someone of insurance fraud the second they re- report their car stolen, although yeah. I'm sure that happens quite a bit. And it, it's just a it's just a weird asymmetry, especially when you figure when you see the very the very credible and, and, and plausible statistics of how many sexual assaults and rapes don't even be reported mm-hmm. because of the fact that a hundred percent of them will be met with skepticism and, you know, doubt, not just like in a court of public opinion, but like by police officers and by lawyers and by judges, like it's a, it's a fucking uphill climb as, as we've seen uh, recently in the news. So it's like, it, it's, it's 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 just weird to see it'd be like in like in, in in the middle of Jim Crow in the South where like black men were being lynched both both legally and extra legally for eyeballing white women for like someone to do a television show about well what about the white women who are actually raped by by hypersexual black men mm-hmm. like what the fuck? Like, uh, okay, maybe maybe that happens. Uh, maybe it's a problem. But how about the dudes getting torched and blow t- and, and uh, getting getting strung up and blowtorched in the woods? Like, mm-hmm. that's happened a hell of a lot more. And with a, a sense of like official, um, like 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 that's the kind of the policy. And I don't know. It's just uh, well, I do know. I think it's a bad look, Matthew Weiner. And I think I think uh, you're getting round the criticism on the internet because of it. 
especially since this is part of kind of a shaping up to be a mediocre project. Uh, so. No, it does. It does feel very much like Weiner. And I, look, I know he's got a co-writer on this, but I, I can't help but feel like this is a, in large part his creation. Um, I, I think he's trying to talk to the people who are in power. Like I look at the James Gunn stuff, right? Um, mm. And I know this isn't like involved with the the Me Too thing. It's just him kind of being a general asshole 11 years ago or whatever. Right, right. Uh, but he got fired from his TV show, and it was all, you know, over something that he apologized for. It was something like a big deal was made about it, and mm-hmm. he got fired. And I feel like Matthew Weiner in this episode is talking to sort of the executives at Disney, right? Or mm-hmm. n- not even that specifically, but people with power um, who would be confronted with decisions to make around these kinds of issues uh, in regards to their employees or their friends. And he's saying, let's not be too hasty to jump to conclusions here. Uh, that That's very much what it felt like to me. And I, I mean, there is something. So here's the Romanoff tie, I guess, is that that power imbalance. You know, the, these are very powerful people in a powerful place. And in this case, the right. power that this woman has is to essentially destroy the ability for the piano teacher to do the thing that he loves doing, which is teaching piano and bringing, mm. you know, that that peace and that joy to when he's to still kids. very much trying to make that dream happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she could crumble that to dust by simply saying uh, you're fired, you know, and, and then everybody else would in turn fire him. Everybody would right down the line uh, ruin his dream. And mm-hmm. that to me is where the core of this episode lies in the idea that if you do that, if you if you were in a position to do that and you do that without thinking, then you've probably made a mistake. And and he's not saying don't do it. He's simply saying think about it before you do it. Right. And, and I guess that's, uh, in my opinion, that's perhaps the most interesting thing that this episode does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's certainly not the only thing. Yeah, and I don't even know what that, like what is the appropriate amount of, like I feel like, what do you do if you are Diane Lang? You know, I mean, it seems like obviously asking your children, but like maybe not in a like, this is a tribunal you must give up in, in kind of an open and hey, what do you think about David and, and how does he make you feel as a person and all that? Like, I mean, I, I just, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel you, man. I, it's I, like, I, it's just like, it's like, I mean, I feel like I'm trying to clean this up to be a decently informed afternoon school special, mm-hmm. which I think is the problem because the way this thing is pitched is it just feels like that kind of out of touch. Uh, I, and, and I don't know, because like the kids, like I felt like the kids reactions were really good and they felt mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it's, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm not so sure that. Anthony that that Matthew Weiner Matt Weiner rather Matthew Weiner is not punching in the right direction that he's not pun- like kind of like look at how look how hypocritical we can be mm-hmm. uh you know in our privilege if with all of our privilege and we can you know uh we we can take this person down without any and and we can do so much damage but i don't know it it doesn't feel that way and it feels like you can make an argument through a lot of different sides and and it's 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 a nuanced conversation to have and that's what i'm coming back and coming down and ask myself is do i think that uh, we- uh matthew weiner has the the nuance to do this particular after after school special and mm-hmm. i think my answer is uh, definitely no uh, my my answer would be the conversation he's having is too narrow to actually uh-huh. do that. 
and right. and he almost needed i don't know how long this episode was it didn't feel like an hour and a half but it was like an hour and 10 i think okay maybe he needed that other 20 minutes to bring in the other sides or not even Boy, sides I sides imagine. is the wrong fucking word I was squirming and like un- I kept on hoping that this would that there would be because like sometimes this that's honestly having this conversation is always uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I've watched like BoJack Horseman episodes and Lady Dynamite episodes and uh, the other pieces of television that are having these same kind of conversations because it's in it's 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 something it's one of the biggest cultural events we've had and it's like you're kind of like oh god this seems like it's because like to fully articulate and to illuminate the awfulness of the problem you have to kind of go down there and roll in the mud a bit Mm. and like there's always a point i think in better examples of dealing with this topic where the tide turns and the episode has an actual moral point it tries to make and then you can kind of decide what you feel about it this i felt like it was pretty cringy and uncomfortable from from start to finish and the conclusions it drew were nebulous and debatable and i I don't i don't think you want to i don't know do you want to do you want to make a nuanced movie about the nazis and whether they had points or not (laughs) <laughs> right I like mean, you know well they did advance rocket technology and arguably wouldn't have gone to the moon without them <laughs> like f- you know fuck that fuck that not. you want indiana jones melting their faces with the power of god like that's and i feel like uh kind of that way when we're talking about people who have um you know and it's like it's 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 not just like rate it's also about because i because i think that a lot of guys when they they see stuff like this they think oh shit what if I was a staff writer on some show and I'm up and coming? I'm like the I, I'm the piano player in this in, in this instance, and uh, a female that's maybe higher than me, maybe lower than me, maybe she just gets jealous and she gives us false accusation, and now I'm I'm fucking ruined and no one will hire me. And I just that's not really what happens. What what happens is like the men who are still are on top of these organizations calling the shots are the ones that will ask a female to take the clothes off. And then she gets uncomfortable and start and, and is weirded out by it. And then suddenly she's shown the door because she's not a team player mm-hmm. or she can't take a joke or like, that's the shit that's happening 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and guys who are getting taken down usually justifiably. I'm not saying that there haven't been misfires, um, but like a good 95% have been very wealthy and privileged guys taken down and hoisted on their own petard because they should be, because they actually did do the things that they did mm-hmm. uh, and were accused of, credibly accused of. Um, so, I, yeah, I feel like it's the wrong, wrong messenger, tone-deaf message, inartfully <laughs> told. There's one other thing yeah. I want to talk about. that I felt like that one of the things that David Simon tr- – or not David Simon, shit, sorry, David – uh, Matthew Weiner tried to do is introduce David as a problematic victim because he bullshits. He makes up stories to impress his his wealthy patron client clientele. Mm-hmm. He may have embezzled funds from his wealthy patrons to try to get a music studio off, but like that also could just be him being a bullshit artist. And he's poor, which causes him to act in sketchy ways to wealthy people, such as taking. Like, I thought that was, like, a funny, I don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally, Ron Livingston talking about all the freaks he gets dropped off, and Diane Lang's like, well, those are, like, Uber drivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, 
I, I felt like that there that that those were the facts that kind of made David seem shady and like really that I did that he's he's trying to play a part to you rich people and that he has to take an Uber because his car breaks down and he doesn't have the funds on hand to just to just fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was such a weird thing to try to shade and add nuance. It wasn't like because you know you you talk to all of the it seems like you talk to all the parents and all the kids and Dave the Saint right yeah that should be like that should be like into the story but instead it's all like well he did tell that one lie about being a Romanoff and then you know like did you loan him this like I, there's all this uh, meta bullshit like like honest people can molest children mm-hmm. uh, rich people can certainly molest the shit out of children as as we've seen time and time again like this is all a bunch of red herring bullshit yeah. And then why was ants crawling all over Diane Lang? That was like supposed to be the pricks of her conscience or something. Yeah, I mean that was d- depicting, you know, the the idea that's lingering, even though there's yeah. nothing there. Yeah, um, which kind of follows through the end of the episode. So coming away from this episode, I was one hundred and seven hundred other percents of not looking forward to this podcast because there here's the thing. It's, it's weird because I don't want to come away from, I have a natural instinct to not come away from this episode with anything positive to say. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a strange position to be in where I have to, I have to get on the microphone and I have to talk about this episode because it's mm-hmm. part of my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I don't want to present any nuanced opinion on this. What I want to do is sort of go with the mob mentality and say, mm-hmm. Everything about this episode is stupid and wrong because Matthew Weiner is a dickhead, mm-hmm. uh, and he's been accused of this thing. I don't know whether right. he did it or not, but we should believe the victim. And right. boom, case closed. Uh, right. And and I I have that opinion because I very much don't give a shit what incels think of me. Right? Like mm-hmm. those people are fucking lunatics and idiots. Mm-hmm. Who cares if if I if they go? Oh well, Matthew Weiner has a point here, and blah 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 uh-huh. blah. Right. Uh, what I care about is the people who do have a lot of interest in seeing uh, the Me Too movement succeed, whatever that means. Um, uh-huh. So so I want to come to this with a lot of negativity uh-huh. that it, in some ways is is real and in some ways is artificial. It's mm. like I don't know how to have like a super honest, nuanced, interesting conversation about this episode mm. without potentially offending people. And that's not my intention. It's not yeah. what I want to do, but I know it will happen, right? Yeah. So I, I get super nervous on these podcasts because I don't want to say the wrong thing, but the wrong thing is so easy to say when you're trying to have a nuanced discussion about something. I definitely feel you because, uh, and I think that part of part uh, part of the problem is I think Matthew Weiner tried to, and again his very old out of touch fuddy duddy way tried to defend preemptively against some of this stuff and try to give it nuance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I honestly think this would, it, it, he could have said something interesting if he had just like, like, Hey, as a rich, powerful mogul in television, this is how I really see this situation. This is, this is, this is how I, I see it. Like I, I it might, it might've been just as inflammatory, but I think that 
people like you people wouldn't dismiss it as as easy because this episode is what i see a lot is like yeah people just dismissing like this is just this is just mediocre entertainment um that's a lot that had a lot of money spent a lot of talent spent on it and it doesn't have anything worthwhile to say and it's flirting with saying things that are regressive and bad well why do you think matthew weiner is not trying to say the thing that this episode says what do you mean Uh, i mean you're saying that maybe maybe he should okay. have come out and said the thing that he really feels about it, but I, feel I like that he, didn't the, he? Um, yeah, I, I feel like well, so. I guess maybe I should defend that thesis a bit. I feel okay. like a lot of us saying like, "What the fuck is going on with Ron Livingston?" I suspect those were late minute additions to try to add some. Oh. Well, <laughs> look at what people said. Like, look at what our parents said about this, and it turns out things are a lot more complex thirty years later. Like, you know, mm. sometimes boys are girls, and sometimes girls are boys, and sometimes you can't tell the. Like, I felt like all that shit came out of left field, and that was something that he was like. Sometimes you live through eras, and you your parents are trying their best to be progressive, but they they overshoot or they do something, or they teach you a truth that's not true or something. Uh, again, I don't think that makes what this point is better, but I, I do think those are attempts of a guy who fundamentally, again, I just, I, and, and some of this stuff is meta because again, I think a guy who really understands what's going on with me too and his place in it would not issue a, one of those half-assed, well, I don't know if I remember or like, well, you know, maybe I could see something like that or, well, I wasn't necessarily always a good person. Like the, the, their, um, it wouldn't be the, like this non-apology apology. So I guess I'm metagaming a little bit and seeing how he publicly reacted to an actual Me Too accusation and, and extrapolating uh, him defensively directing and writing this episode. And maybe that doesn't have any validity, but shit, I'm not I – don't, I don't exist in a vacuum in neither of this episodes. So I think it's fair to bring mm-hmm. in what I think is a dishonest and dissembling and not forthright – like I, Jesus Christ, I actually think that the playbook for this stuff, um, and it's too, it's too bad. I, I'm using the words playbook when like it's it's entirely possible for people to 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 to, to do this like um, and not a calculated way. But everyone knows the shit that they did, man. Unless there's some substance abuse issue that's thrown into it, and they're like blackout drunk while they're in the writers' room or whatever. Like everyone knows the things that they did. And, and the other thing that I, I take as a bedrock is in this me too era is usually there's not like a lone thing. Like if, if David molested a kid in piano, I don't think it would be a single thing that he did because mm-hmm. usually people that have these kind of proclivities, you know, they cautiously flex their power. They find out that they get away with it. And then they less cautiously flex their power. And then they get, you get, that's how you get, um, you know, uh, Harvey Weinstein, right? Mm-hmm. Or a guy who just is fucking gross. Or, or it's how you get a, uh, uh, what's that Matt Lauer guy on the Today Show where he's got like a, a door that he can lock with a button and he's got, you know, the sexual, uh, uh, sexual harassment chamber that he's built in, in the NBC studios. Like, that's how you get to that kind of extreme shit. Um, and it's like, just like in this day where you can, you, like, if someone says, hey, you did something that made me feel uncomfortable and hurt me. To say, ah, well, maybe I did, maybe I don't. Who can say? Times are so confusing. That's just, that's a fundamentally dishonest, horseshit answer. And that's the guy who made this episode. Is that kind of like... Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah. At, at risk of defending the, uh, or playing the, the wrong advocate here, I'm going mm. to throw something out. Do it. Maybe, is there any possibility here 
that we should be giving a little bit of credit for someone who is powerful, someone who is in the position of Matthew Weiner, simply raising the conversation uh, in a very public medium. Does that not does that not have any value? I guess is my question. It's not <laughs> it, that it... and and where where would you attribute that value? Is it is it to Matthew Weiner? Is that his intention, or is it simply a byproduct of this thing that he made? Well, so why is it the old powerful rich guys? place to to make this stand like because here's well here's the, that's here, not so, what i'm no, saying what i'm yeah, simply know, saying know, is, is bringing it to people who may not have been touched by it yet and may not right. have ever thought of it well so i guess here's my critique to that and because i think you're on to something and what i think is true is that mr weiner has access to hundreds and hundreds of people uh the in this in in this community you know women uh, that he could have like floated these ideas for an episode to, and he could have sought out critiques to like, oh God, no, Matt, no, you can't say that. That's that's it's gonna. <laughs> he could yeah. have actually used his platform to make something really interesting and really thought provoking, and maybe made people feel uncomfortable and like put, or he might have like you know uh, uh he might have gotten the answer of like just like look dude you you can't be this guy you can't be the guy who mm-hmm. who makes this at this time because of xyz you know societal reason political reason whatever but i like i i think what he did probably is just did this pr- almost entirely by himself um you know, and here's another thing that's going to sound kind of kind of gross and and prejudiced, but fuck it. I, it's one of the honestly first thoughts I had is when I saw a woman's name attached to the script. I'm thinking, ah, he used you as a fucking uh, sandbag, right. yeah, shield, as a pillbox to like, oh well, you know, if uh, shit, a woman like she was my co-writer, so like, why doesn't she get it? You know, it's like th- that. Th- it all comes across as feeling calculated because mm-hmm. it's clear. That if he talked to women in Hollywood, he sure didn't. He sure didn't talk to like uh, a preponderance of women that would give him a hundred and eighty degree or like a three hundred and sixty degree evaluation of how this would come across. Yeah, I think or gay, or, you know, or like you know, what is it like? You know, like uh, if if you want to talk about gay people being falsely accused of child molestation, there's probably people that 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 can talk about that because that's like I think a really that's that's still a real thing in society. Like people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, skeptical of men around children, period. You know, I felt that when I'm at a playground with my son when he was real little and I'm the only guy there and I'm this big dude with a beard and I'm like, and I could see the moms kind of like sizing me up and like what, and like having conversations about me. And then Jack would run over and be like, daddy, daddy. And like, I could see them visibly relax. Like, I mean, I get it. There are definitely some bullshit things that, 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 that our society have towards men. And I imagine gay men, it goes double or, tri- or treble. Um, but I just feel like it, yeah, when you've got this much power and prestige and talent and money, it's, it's just disappointing to see something that's kind of like a mumble mouth. Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of like a really sharp focused statement that actually would move the ball one way or another in society. Yeah. So that's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I think he could have done better. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's at best a squandered opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless these, you know, again, they, maybe this is, this is all his honest thoughts. And then, boy, I just think he needs to do a lot more thinking. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's always possible, too. All right. Before we get to feedback, I want to talk about our club at club.baldmove.com. There's a lot of special features you can get 
for joining up. Uh, one of the special features is it gives Jim and I the ability to cover small shows like the Romanoffs uh, that you're enjoying right now. But we also have uh, a lot of special features. For example, right now we're going through Season of the Cage. Uh, previous week's entries like for Con Air and Weatherman had us uh, for cl- uh, special club content pitching sequels to the movies or reimagining the movie. Uh, that uh, adaptation confounded our attempts to do that. So instead, we provide our club members with a slightly uh, expanded conversation uh, in our in our deep dive movie review podcast where we have 20, uh, 20 plus bonus bonus minutes of, of coverage uh, exclusively for our club members. You can sign up at club.baldmove.com. It's super easy. You can get a preview for a lot of the special features like ad-free feeds and video versions of our podcast, Lunch with Jim and Aaron, Quit Your Pitching, First Run Movies, etc., etc. Uh, you can also try for free 30 days by signing up uh, for your membership risk-free. Check it out at club.baldmove.com. I'm ready for feedback. Actually, this is the first time it's happened as we're covering this show, but we actually got a lot of post feedback on our uh, episode for last uh, on our podcast episode for the last episode, episode four, expectation. Uh, first up, in an anonymous dad says this episode really hit me close to home because I'm a father of a 19 year old daughter who I've suspected for most of my life or her life that she is not my biological daughter. I won't go into all the details, but I've long ago lived to accept this and nothing will ever change or happen to change my view and or relationship with my daughter. But I wanted to comment about the what if he, the son-in-law, has to give blood comment made by the mother at breakfast. I've always had a fear that although I've made peace with the possible secret about my daughter, that the truth may need to come out suddenly someday because of a medical procedure that requires a donor of some kind. And it'd be something that would typically be taken from a family member, but not work because I'm not the biological father. I have no idea if this is what the wiener was referring or referencing with that line, uh, but my mind immediately went back to that as soon as the main plot took hold. Um, I, I I don't know if I can assuage your fear here, Anonymous Dad, but it's my understanding that like uh, if it came time to like you donating a kidney to your daughter, that like that not like sometimes not every parent would be an exact match, right? Oh, I don't know. Like I I, I don't know, but like. Uh, to the extent that that's like, I'm trying to tell this guy's like, well, maybe that's not a real fear. Like, uh, you know, like I, I don't have the same, I don't think blood type as my parents. Um, but anyway, huh. I, I, I got an easy solution for you. Yeah. And I swear I'm not making fun of this, but <laughs> I, I, I have to say it. Uh, you could simply, so if, if the, the girl's mother has uh-huh. a, a self interest in preserving the secret, you could simply do some kind of contract that would say you need to be the first donor on this kind of thing. Mm, mm. You know, because if you present that contract and, uh, you know, and she doesn't want the the news to come out, then she's probably just going to sign it. And, you know, eventually you'll be off the hook for for the kidney or the blood or whatever you got to do. Yeah, I just figured there'd be a blood test. I mean, I guess that's the other big fear is you do a blood test and the doctor... I mean, if you do, especially if you like, say, like she's 19 years old, so she's a legal adult, and they do a blood test, and you don't match, or it's like you're like, would they tell the daughter? I guess right. they would, and that would know. that would be the real fear there. Just the like the the, the testing a procedure would would out you in a way that would hurt your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, that yeah, because it's not going to hurt you. Obviously, suck. you've you've like you said, come to terms with it, so. But on the other hand, I think that the older she gets, the more like even if she this comes out, like she's gonna look mm-hmm. back on her life and think, 
biology be damned, uh, you know, like a, like a DNA test isn't going to tell me, you know, who my dad was or was not. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, though, because that's the thing. Um, <laughs> I'm open to the idea that these are very personal episodes and they might hit people right in a particular thing that makes it more meaningful um, to that individual than it would like all of us. Because, like, you know, you and I had minor differences of how – well, not minor. You liked the episode last episode a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it's it's kind of like on the balance, this Romanoff thing. It's certainly not hitting people as broadly as, like, say, Mad Men, which is kind of itself an acquired taste. Yeah. So someone on the forum linked uh, a, a review from uh, Alan Seppenwall, and I didn't have time to read the whole one, but they, they quoted a single part that went along the lines of, it's very clear after five episodes that this was a, a project that Matthew Weiner didn't get told no very often on yeah uh to to like maybe and 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 you think you think of like who picked this up amazon i could see amazon being like hey follow up the Mad Men. it's all on you matt do whatever you want and we've seen that a lot of times uh where you give a creator that kind of unfettered you know freedom uh, I feel like that was a problem with True Detective Season 2. I feel mm-hmm. that's a problem with George Lucas coming back to Star Wars. Uh, sometimes real creativity is born from like hardships and limitations and creative compromises. And giving someone like everything they need can breed kind of laziness and uh, sh- sh- shallow takes and shallow thinking. Uh, moving on, Heather H. Uh, boy, she's got a grand unification theory for Romanoff. So are you ready for this, Jim? Yeah, bring it. Uh, you have a whiteboard and some and and uh, some some red yarn to make these connections. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, in this episode, we get a moment that you guys didn't talk about. And again, she's talking about episode four. Uh, Slattery's Daniel, while walking down the street in the first scene where he and uh, Preet's Julia are physically together in the present day, confides in her that his Romanoff book has sold as a miniseries script. Which is great news, but can, uh, can't we safely assume that the miniseries that comprised the whole episode of episode three, the House of Special Purpose, is in fact that book? If so, this means that Danny writes the book that becomes a script and the context in which the events of House of Special Purpose uh, occur. Wait, I'm not following it. So, are they saying that Slattery in this case is is? Matthew Weiner and no, Weiner, no, no, and no. that this is the Romanovs that he's writing. No, no, no. She's trying to find a way to connect all of these episodes together. Okay. So Slattery wrote a book that's picked up to be shot as a miniseries that Christina Hendricks got signed for and oh, shot. Oh, oh, okay. okay. I didn't, I didn't realize the yeah Hendricks connection. Um, so this con- this is the context in which Hen- Christina Hendricks, uh, Olivia will die, or more, or perhaps more appropriately, you should say, will be killed at the hands of the antics of a Mad Woman director, Jacqueline. Uh, then, of course, Daniel Slattery, uh, Daniel Slash Slattery, also appears in the Royal We episode two as a distinguished guest speaker in the Bizarro Freak Show Romanoff's Cruise. He's speaking as an expert using the very book of his that is the basis for the miniseries script from House of Special Purpose. Importantly, in expectations, he and Julia find that book in a near dusty sales bin on a bookstore sidewalk selling for just a dollar, a fact that he openly re- laments. The book's obviously run its course in the timeline and the world of New York City's expectation, but it's all the rage in the timeline and world of the Romanoff's cruise in the Royal We, or at least in the context of a Romanoff cruise. 
Uh, so if this is all to be pieced together, you can almost start to map a circulation of the curse of the Romanovs. Daniel slash Slattery meets his best friend, Eric slash Tinny, who supposedly herself proclaims as a, a Romanov descendant and eventually becomes some kind of scholarly expert of Romanov lore. He writes a book that becomes all the rage in the weirdo Romanov crew circuit and God knows where else strange uh, supposed Romanov folks go to celebrate the Romanovness. Meanwhile, he has an affair with Eric's wife, Julia slash Preet, and she gets pregnant and has Ella slash Rudd, but stays with Eric, the supposed actual Romanov. That's all a big secret that eats away at Daniel and Julia. Daniel develops into devolves into unhappiness, which probably involves more of these Romanov cruise gigs, and his book gets less and less popular until, boom, he sells the book rights to a mad set of folks who end up hiring yet another unstable person who believes themselves to be Romanov's descendant, and she makes a miniseries under unethical and nutso conditions where she literally kills someone. Moral, the Romanov's curse-slash-psychic trauma not only infects the families from which it resides, but it circulates and sticks to all those who touch it. They, can't, they pass it on and cannot escape it, and it has the deadliest or more dramatic effects on those who are not interested in it or who are not part of it until they are captured by someone who carries the curse, such as Hendrix Olivia, uh, Preet's Julia, um, or uh, Bish, Bishy, Bish, uh, Bishay, yeah. Bishay's Shelley in the Royal Wee. Uh, until they end up awful people dead or trying to run as far away as they can get from them. Uh, what do you think about the Romanovs as a curse that spread, like almost like set, um, the ring style uh, through through a community? Yeah, I mean, it it tracks. I mean, that's kind of the, the thesis of the show, right? That it all sort of this trauma is following these people around. Um mm-hmm. I, I guess, like, if you want to say, oh, it's cursed, it sticks to even the people around it who who are unfortunate enough to come in contact with the Romanovs, mm-hmm. uh, you could extend it. And I certainly buy, you know, the the framework that the emailer has built here. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was always under the impression from the beginning that that was kind of the thing of this show, right? Yeah, I, w- I thought that there's going to be a through line, but now that we've seen, for example, Diane Lang shows up in here, and she's like a, a wealthy mom on in the California coast, but she also showed up in a previous episode as a person that hobnobs with a man uh, the, with with Pete's character. And I wonder, are you supposed to understand that they are literally the same person that Diane Lang just happened to be in town? Because I. I do kind of like the idea that all of these would be tied together, not just thematically, but also like they inhabit the same universe and these characters kind of like crisscross in and out of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and which would make the first episode be the only one that so far has none of those connections. Yeah. seems like it. But then again, there's still three episodes left where they can do that. Uh, Anyway, she conclude, uh, Heather concludes, uh, I'm a professor of rhetoric and film, and my scholarly focus is on violence, so I'm fascinated by the possibility that the Weiner may actually pull off some sort of interesting series that provo- provocatively ponders how the violent moment of Romanov's demise, historically speaking, could infect the entire symbolic understanding people have of themselves today, from how they dress to who they marry to how they vacation to how, what they choose as a career and how they approach their work style. Um, despite the near historical impossibility based on the facts that they have any blood relation to real Romanovs. Man, I can't help but think that it would have been, if that's the thesis that he's going for, it would have been much better served by something serialized. Something yeah. that we focus on characters that we can learn and grow with and appreciate uh, to a fuller extent than we can these 
what frankly have been flimsy characters and and ephemeral characters you know they're here one episode gone the next yeah when you were lamenting the fact that you have to do a podcast on this and kind of uh you know there with, with this this format there's a limited amount of talk you can talk about the thing's point of view or its politics or um it, it did like I, I was thinking like yeah the thing about it's one thing to have an anthology like american horror story where every season is going to be something different maybe there's some loose connections but within the season itself you can say, okay, after having seen the three episodes I've seen, I predict that this is what's going to happen. Where the whole fucking thing's an anthology and nothing's really connected in any kind of concrete. It's like, I can't even say, well, this is kind of a turd of an episode, but it's building towards X, Y, or Z. Or I think I can see, I appreciate what Heather's doing here is just trying to like, you know, do like a meta analysis approach to do that. But man, I've really realized what a big part of our podcast is just kind of like speculating on what we think is going to happen or trying to anticipate like it's it's or even when we're not speculating there's still that anticipation of like oh you smelled you smell this good you smell this good meal cooking i wonder what's going to come like that's always part of the fun um mm-hmm. even when we're not engaging in like real speculation like they're building towards something whereas this is just each individual thing either works or it doesn't and then it doesn't feel like it's adding up to anything greater or lesser than itself yeah and i I mean, maybe he's gonna go try and stick the landing in the next three episodes and really tie it all together, but I honestly don't see how. Yeah, it's it's getting less and less likely. Uh, my jam. I felt like I was watching some sort of bizarro world after-school special at the end of this one, so this is where we turn and start mm-hmm. talking about the the high and bright circle. The worst sin you can do is bear false witness. Who bore fault wi- false witness in this episode? Only the piano teacher that we know of when he pretended to be a Romanoff. Everyone else was reacting fairly open-mindedly and reasonably to a suspicion that was raised about the piano teacher not uh, not bearing false witness. It's so weird and off-tone, especially with Matthew Weiner's recent past of being accused of inappropriate behavior. Was he making a case about how the accusation ruined his real life? Then why did he put the story of the Allen kid, who was actually a girl which was a confusing non sequitur more than a parable that clarified any point he was trying to make. And why did he make the piano teacher sketchy enough to where Diane Lang should have had her guard up more and not closed the door in a piano session? And yes, we all know people can make up accusations about other people if they want to, and that is wrong, but this episode completely dismisses the victim's point of view and dismisses the inappropriate behavior and worse happens frequently in real life. And that the very nature of these inappropriate actions and crimes make it so there is not likely to be any witnesses and there is not much else victims can do but report it and know that they will often face disbelief at best and retribution at worst. Uh, I think, yeah, these are things that we all kind of touched out about. We, I guess, I, you know, something I, I haven't reflected is that there... There is a weird disconnect between Me Too and the opponents of Me Too, which is there is no pocket in society where people are saying it's cool to make false accusations about people. Mm -hmm. There is not a segment of society that says that that is something that's okay to do, yet it's very easy to point to examples even in popular culture, which I think we all would, would agree reflects society. Where, you know, look in the 80s and 90s and 2000s and even today, like how how many women in job situations are portrayed as being sexually harassed? How many to show that they have sleazy bosses? How many have, you know, boyfriends that have, uh, you know, sexually abused or mistreated them? And how many of those plot points were resolved by 
the women going to authorities and getting justice. Like, mm-hmm. you can make an argument that there is a big swath of society who doesn't want to hear any of this Me Too bullshit, but there's no corresponding segment on the other side that's like, yeah, ladies, get even. Just falsely accuse these guys and fucking ruin their life. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, no one, no one is teaching their children, well, Sally, when you grow up, you just tell a man to, to, that he touched your boob and everything will be right as rain. Like, the fuck? So, so this email, when I mentioned Ron Livingston and uh, his his character, I got trapped in a thought cycle here in my own head, and I wonder now. I'm questioning whether or not Ron Livingston is supposed to be a hypocrite and a joke in this episode. If hmm. he is not the character who we're supposed to look at and say, "What a dumbass," because. Like I pointed out earlier, you know, this this he seems to have learned nothing from the lessons of his childhood. Uh, and he's he's now getting up on his high horse and telling his kids to do the same thing that he did not learn himself. Um, it, there are moments, you know, in this episode where he assumes, oh, because he's gay, he must be a molester. Uh, there are moments in this episode where he says, oh, the the women don't have anything to do because they don't work. And so they gossip right. all the time. He's right. he's kind of a shit in just about every direction you want to approach it from has a lot of regressive views. Yes. Yeah. Are, are we sure that Matthew Weiner is not dumping a bunch of bullshit opinions into this character and saying this character is not supposed to be taken seriously in any way? I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to go with. Like, you know, charitable interpretations of what he's trying to say, but I guess it's still muddied by the fact that I feel like Diane Lang has a lot of shitty opinions and reactions of things too. like, Mm-hmm. who is the only person that I feel is acting in a righteous way is the children. But even then they had this like, well, things are weird now. So I don't want him to be my instructor. Like mm-hmm. they had the thing where Livingston had to come and be like, look, you shits, this is false bearing or witness. And that's, that's Jesus himself said, that's the worst thing you can do about a person. <laughs> I it's, I mean, I, when I was writing my notes, I was looking for the alternate take that, there's a clear through right like you know you you fucking coastal liberal elites are 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 trying to nail Matthew Weiner to the to the wall because if you actually look from this certain admittedly weird and skewed position there is a through line of righteousness that you but I just is not there like that yeah. through line takes 90 degrees. it's like the magic bullet in uh, JFK <laughs> it it stops for 2 seconds turns 90 degrees continues 6 inches goes through JFK's dick hole and <laughs> it's and gets accused of of touching his penis it's <laughs> it's it's weird I, I really tried to do it cuz i was thinking like as i was writing my notes there's just there's this this mess of all these different contradictory opinions and i'm like i wonder if he is doing something like that mm-hmm. i just couldn't find it yeah. i have a whole like page and a half of stuff where i was trying to and I, it's, it just well, didn't come together. I mean, that's the problem with it, right, too, because all of the opinions that he's expressing are kind of those regressive opinions that you sort of expect from an older man. Yeah. Uh, and and I wouldn't necessarily put it past Matthew Weiner to actually have those opinions and honestly hold them. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know where to come down. Has, yeah. has Matthew Weiner, like, looked, examined the culture of of his childhood and said this is a negative thing? 
or as he looked at it and he's like classical music and like fancy poetry and fancy whiskey and wine yeah. is holding it up as a thing to be lauded. And I don't know the true answer there. Yeah. And it's also very, this, a lot of like one Oh one, or these are the first three chess moves made in this debate. And mm-hmm. the course of the debate is well into its end game at this point. And I feel like, but the thing is, there's also, if, if you want to do that, it's not like that doesn't have value because I do very strongly feel as a person who was born with a bunch of shitty default opinions because of where I was born, uh, the community I was raised in, the things I was taught as a child. Like I had certain bits flipped to uh, places that I wish they'd, they uh, that, that I that I'd been born with them flipped the other way. Um. So like there's there's always these people that I think are well-meaning and if you present them in a, a what I consider the true facts in a in, in a way that is easy to digest and something that helps them kind of like make parallels to their own life or the things that they can you know kind of uh, generate empathy for these positions that that has value like sometimes taking mm. things back to the opening of a chess move where you know white moves their pawn two ranks two two spaces ahead on the king rank or whatever that stuff has value, but he's like, I, I just felt like you, he, he, he doesn't know enough to like break it down or his understanding of the game theory is such that like, cause you have to, to do that. You have to know pretty well the mid and end game to explain like why this opening is good or not good. Right. Mm-hmm. But the way he did it, it's, it's almost like, I don't know I mean, if that's what he wanted to do. I feel like it's a flip of the coin whether you walked away from this episode having a better understanding of what you should actually believe or what Matthew Weiner thinks or hopes you should believe. And that's what, what, what kind of makes it bad. Cause I do see sometimes, you know, in certain spheres uh, of like leftist progressive politics where they get there, they get upset when like the one one arguments are made. It's yeah. like, Jesus Christ, why are we? Well, it's because a lot of the country still needs that one. Like you can't, like every year there's a there's a there's a 100 level biology mm-hmm. and you don't see like masters and doctors of biology coming down and bemoan what the fuck is another class of 19 year old dumbasses take yeah. an intro to biology for bah, uh. but you do see that sometimes in like these social movements because i mm-hmm. guess if i put on my empathy hat it's because it's depressing to see so much work left to be done Mm. Or, like, the state of the debate in some circles. But it is what it is, you know? You have to... Not everyone's born thinking correct things. Everyone needs to be taught. Everything needs to be educated. And if you're born with, like, you know, for whatever, whatever stroke of luck, you're born with the correct viewpoints for society of today then I guess congratulations, but I think it, some of those people are going to have a harder time later in life when their challenges, when, when their viewpoints are challenged in other ways because they, they're they not going to have any kind of history of like, oh, evaluating something critically and, and changing their mind. It's going to be, you know, th- those are like people that are going to end up being reactionary. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's like my aunt, you know, my aunt was, uh, went, got a liberal arts degree in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, absolutely would be a uh, fucking liberal in those contexts. And she's a Trump supporter. <laughs> like, you know, uh, is it, so was she a liberal back then because she'd really thought through the issues and had some kind of internal 
framework that made sense or was it just like she went along with what everybody was saying and like of course that's right i don't know it's just yeah there's room for 101 type of material but it's got you know breaking things down and teaching yeah it requires a thorough understanding of material and i don't think matthew weiner has that cape gabe or maybe it's carpe gabe cape gabe uh, it seems like each episode has less and less of a Romanoff connection. Next episode will feature someone just walking by a magazine clipping of a review of John Slattery's book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's the other thing that's kind of confounding. I thought this was a this is pretty heavy Romanoff to start off with. I and I guess I thought that would build, and it's in. It seems to be the concentration of Romanoff is is uh, getting homeopathic. It's it's decreasing. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wonder if that's because. You know, there there was a promise made with this show, with the title mm-hmm. of this show, mm-hmm. and Weiner felt like, oh, I need to actually deliver on some of that, so put mm. the strongest Romanoff connection up front. Yeah, I, I'm getting to where I need to be a Romanoff shark. I, I need to be able to detect a one part yeah. in a million to, to, you know, if you put one drop of Romanoff in a six ga- million gallon tank, uh, the the great white Romanoff will be able to detect it, but I, it just smells like salt water to me. Uh that's all we got for today's episode, this week's episode, rather. Uh, if you'd like to give us feedback, you can do so at tv at baldmove.com or on our forums, forums.baldmove.com. We have uh, a Romanoff's thread there. But we'll see We'll see what happens next Friday when an- another one is released next Monday when we talk about it. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. I'll see you.